Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. So welcome to 12 Stone here across the campuses, online, across our home groups. And I want you to hear this from my mouth. The songs we just sung... That is the heart of this church. Listen, we're a bunch of people that are messed up, imperfect. We make mistakes. Now you look at me and think, he doesn't make mistakes. I make a lot, you don't. You look at me and go, I know what you, we all make mistakes, but there's this person named Jesus, and we're gonna talk about him today, and he changes everything. And listen, you might be hanging out, and you might be the first time back in church in a long time, maybe ever, and you're hanging out with us today. Welcome, I'm so glad you're here. This guy named Jesus, which I believe is the son of God, died, rose again for our sins. He is wild about you and he doesn't want anything from you. He wants everything for you. He loves you dearly. And I hope today you're gonna feel that ooze from my pores because that's what I sold my life out to is the person of Jesus. And today we get a chance to start back into the school year. Parents, can I get an amen? That was a little too loud, ma'am. Um, I hope your kids are in K-12. Uh, here, here's the deal. It's the start of school for most of our students. I got a chance to spend some time with seven or 800 students here in our county this week and, and encourage them a little bit. And I've been watching all that they were doing to prepare for your kids, your students, to go back to school. And that word prepare is at the center of everything we're talking about today. See, today I'm teaching us the importance of preparing Because God even saw the importance because before Jesus was even sort of named the Son of God and the Savior of the world, God sent someone before him to prepare named John the Baptist. And today's teaching is going to be unique. Some might even call it odd or weird. It's going to be different today. I'm accomplishing three things. And if you're new to 12 Stone, this is not how every weekend works. So this is a unique weekend. So prepare yourself for it. Three things I want to show you how the whole of the Old Testament was preparing the way for Jesus to arrive. And then I want to teach you how John the Baptist prepared the way for people to meet Jesus. And then I want, in, I want to invite you as a church, I want to invite you to play a part as we prepare the way for more people to meet Jesus. The rubber's going to hit the road at the end of the day, and I want to invite you in, because I think by the end of today, if God would do what I've prayed all week, God would encapture, enrapture, impassion your heart for preparing the way for more people to know Jesus. Because listen, once you've tasted his love, everything changes. and You just want to prepare the way for the next person. And that is what God's inviting us into as a church. And today we, we start back into Jesus Storybook Bible. Anyone remember this from last spring? The old Jesus. Some, we're too excited about a children's book, right? You're like, that looks kind of children's-y. And there's lots of pictures. Why are we doing that in adult church? Listen, you ain't read this yet then. And this thing beautifully captures the gospel narrative from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. And our calling, we believe, our vision as a church was we started last January. We walked all the way through the narrative of the Old Testament. And today we turn the page, if you will, into the New Testament. And if you've been with us since last January until this December, you will have successfully walked through the entirety of the, new, of the entire Bible, the gospel narrative from Genesis to Revelation. Congratulations. 
And if you're among the thousands that jumped in since January, hop online, catch back up on YouTube through the Old Testament. I think it'll be helpful to you. And if you know, it's not just what we teach in this room when we do the Jesus Storybook series. So we have family devotions that we write every week that correspond to the teaching so that you can go home and lead your family in family devotions and in spiritual conversations. And listen, I've talked to enough parents to know this. You know at a soul level this is your calling, but you just feel ill-equipped to do it sometimes, right? Like, I would love to do it. I just don't know, I don't know what to do with that. So we're doing the hard work. All you get to do is just lead it out with your family, and I would just encourage you, church, Take advantage of this. You can grab a new family devotional sort of guide on the way out across the campuses for home. You can download it. And if you didn't get a Jesus Storybook Bible last spring, grab one on the way out. It's our gift and our investment to you and your family and lead them in these family devotional moments. So today we're going to jump in. I'm curious, how many of you... I'm going to just sort of make some extremes here. Either you're a neat freak or you're like, I don't really care. It's, it's all good. We'll get to it tomorrow, okay? How many of you are wired to be more of a neat freak? Like if you see a mess, it's got to get fixed now. All right, how many of you are like, we'll get it in the morning? A lot of kids, students with their hands up. I, I know that for a fact. And the rest of you are like, I didn't know I had to clean stuff. You got to get in the game somewhere. <laughs> Listen, my, my wife and I'm not outing her in this. She knows I was going to do this. My wife is a neat freak. Like if she sees a mess, she's like her heart starts to beat. And she's like, clean it, clean it, got to gotta clean it now. Like she can't sleep at night if she knows there's a mess in the kitchen. Is it anyone like, like that? Where's my wife's people? Yes, there you are. Okay, across the room. Honey, there are people that love you and understand you. If you watch the, the, the sitcom Friends, my wife, Monica, that's who she, that's who she is. When the kids were younger, it was like she would almost follow them around with like a little dirt devil under their mouth while they ate crackers, like don't know crumbs to, to the ground. And then you, then you have kids and they get older and you realize I can't keep the house as clean as I want to, right? So if that's my wife, what do you think she does when I tell her we have company coming over? She has like a 60 to 90 minute routine where I'll call her and be like, hey, babe, I think this such and such family is going to come over and hang out tonight. Someone from the church, one of the staff families. The first thing, I like, on the phone, I hear, Dush. she's like, yep, I'm getting ready. Like, she's that quick. Like, she, she gets in there, she's cleaning stuff. I'm like, babe, our friends are not coming over with white gloves to rub the top of the cabinets and go, ah, you don't care about us. But that's how, that's kind of how she acts in all this. See, she, she sees her job as preparing the way for guests to show up. Like, that's, that's how she sees herself. When she knows that guests are coming over, she sees her role, her calling, her job to prepare the way. Not because she really loves the cleanliness. She wants them to feel her love, that she thought about them, that she cared for them. Listen, that phrase, prepare the way. Here's what I believe. I believe the entirety of the Old Testament has been preparing the way for the person of Jesus to arrive. Like all of creation, all of humanity waiting for this moment where we flip the Bible to the New Testament and say, Jesus is showing up. And all of creation from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament has been waiting for this moment. And it's not like God didn't give us a lot of chances. He gave us so many chances that we just kept messing it up. If you missed last spring, here's like 
an inch deep in the Old Testament. And so God gave us the garden and paradise in Genesis. And we're like, this is great. It's perfect. And then we thought we knew better than God and messed it up. And then it continues on. The fall happens. And then we say, we're going to build this tower back to God, the Tower of Babel. Listen, if, if we can't be in the garden, if we can't be with God, we'll build our own way back to him. We know better. We messed it up again. And then it continues. And we have the reality that there is a person named Abraham that God makes a covenant with, which is what the word testament means. Old covenant, new covenant. Old Testament, new testament. We mess that up Again, and then our people get thrown into exile, and this, this dude, Moses, shows up and frees them from Egypt, but he doesn't free them from the bondage of sin, and we mess it up again, and then we continue on, and God gives us the Ten Commandments, and here's the rules. If you'll just live this way, and we, we do the right things for some time on the outside, but the inside is still broken, longing for Jesus, and then we continue on, and then we get to the promised land. The land God promised, milk and honey. I don't know why that's like a thing, like milk's okay and honey's okay, but that was what they promised. Anyway, milk and honey, we're in the promised land. And we still mess it up again. And then we continue on. And the people ask, I want a real king. Can we have a king that, that we can see? I know, God, you're king, but I want a king that I can see. God says, fine. They gave him the king, King Saul, King David, King Solomon, and we once again see they thought they knew better than God. They thought they could fix what was broken better than God himself, and they messed it up again. And at this point, all of creation's longing for Jesus to finally show up again because they had problems that towers and contracts, rules and promised lands and little kings could never fix. And at this point, God sent the prophets and what the prophets started to foretell and prophesy was there is one coming. The prophets start to say, listen, Jesus will show up and the one that is the one true king will, will arrive and fix the things that are, that are broken in here. And you will eventually have access to the promised land of heaven for all of eternity if you bow to Jesus. And all the outside rules that you are following, I want to carve them onto your heart. I want to change you from the inside out. And I'll free you not just from Egypt, but, but Jesus can free you from sin. And there's a new covenant now, not the covenant with Abraham. That's now been fulfilled in Jesus and we're all invited in. And eventually, I want to bring you back to the garden I created you for. That is the narrative of the Old Testament from Genesis till today. And some of you have glossed your eyes over because that was a lot. Others of you, your heart's beating quick because you know what's coming. The New Testament is finally here and all of humanity is ready for the new contract, the new covenant, the new testament and the person of Jesus. But like I said, preparation matters to God. And so God sends one last prophet, if you will, to prepare the way for Jesus. His name was John the Baptist. Congratulations, we are now in the New Testament church. We've made it all the way through the Old Testament last spring, and today we start there. And this is what was foretold, it was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah about John the Baptist, listen, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. That's what the prophets in the Old Testament started pointing to. There will be one, this is John the Baptist, and he is called to prepare the way for the Lord. Here's how the Jesus Storybook Bible begins to sort of introduce us to this character. 
About the same time Jesus was born, another baby was born, John the Baptist. His name was John, and God had a special job for him. John was going to get everyone ready for Jesus. The day John was born, his dad knew God's promise to Abraham was coming true. God was sending the rescuer. But if you know anything about John the Baptist, he was a bit of an odd character. Like if he was sitting in this room, you'd probably be like, hey, honey, let's slide to another, another row. If he was at your campus, you'd be like, okay, even worse. If he was at your 12-stone home gathering, you're like, honey, call the police. This is, this is weird. Some stuff's happening. Here's what it says about him. So John grew up, and well, to tell you the truth, he was a bit unusual. He lived in the desert. That's the worst. He wore itchy, scratchy outfits. Again, not good. Made of camel hair. He has a big, bushy beard and long, scraggly hair. And here is the oddest thing of all. He only ate locusts, short for big, creepy, crunchy grasshoppers, which he dipped in honey to disguise the taste, probably. This is today's hero of the story, John the Baptist. He's a weirdo. But listen, what we see as weird God sees as uniquely positioned. See, John the Baptist was the perfect man for God to call to prepare the way for Jesus. You see, his ministry was out in the wilderness, and he didn't look anything like the religious leaders of the day. The religious leaders of the day were dressed to the nines, looking right, right hats, right garbs, doing everything prim and proper. And this guy's a wild man in the desert. Why? Because John was not about to go back to the temple because he was watching the same pattern play out in the temple that played out in the whole Old Testament. The religious leaders of the day believed they knew better than God, and if they just did the right religious rituals and rules, that they would fix what was broken in here. And John's like, listen, God's about to do a new thing, and I look nothing like the old thing on purpose because the religious leaders had corrupted God's intent, and John's out here in the wilderness looking like a wild man going, listen, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. See, his ministry was odd, but it was oddly perfect. And here's what the Jesus Storybook Bible describes about how his ministry started. But God sent John to tell his people something important. Stop running away from God and run to him instead. John said, you need to be rescued. I have good news. The rescuer is coming. Make your hearts ready for him. Yes, get ready, because your king is coming back for you. And great crowds listened to John. Listen, he started to gather a crowd. As odd as he was, he started gathering a crowd. They were sorry they had sinned and they wanted to stop running away from God. They wanted to be rescued. So John baptized them, which by the way, that's how he got his name. He wasn't, just so you know, his birth certificate wasn't John the Baptist, right? You get that? It'd be a weird name to give your kid. He got that nickname because of what he did. He baptized them, which means he plunged them in and out of the water. It showed that they wanted to follow God and begin a new life. So John the Baptist, out in the wilderness, preparing the way, saying, Jesus is going to come. Jesus is going to come. He's going to be here. And then Jesus eventually comes to see John the Baptist. He's gathered these big crowds, and Jesus finally shows up. And here's what John said when he saw Jesus walking up. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God is finally here. The one who's going to fix what's broken in here is finally on the scene. And Jesus asks this wild man, John the Baptist, to baptize him. And John the Baptist responded like most of us would. Uh, why don't you baptize me? 
Jesus. Like, you, I, I don't have to be that smart to know. I'm not the one who's supposed to be doing this. That's, that's you. You're the son of God. What are we talking about? And Jesus said, no, this is what my father wants. And this is how Matthew 3 records the baptism of Jesus. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. God didn't leave any doubts about who Jesus was. It wasn't another good leader that showed up. It wasn't just another rabbi or teacher. The son of God is finally here. This is the best news that humanity has had in a long time. The son of God is here. But John the Baptist's followers started getting messed up in their head. Because think about this. John's been doing his ministry for a while. And he's gathering these crowds. And these followers belong to like a movement of John the Baptist people. And these crowds are gathered all around John. And then when Jesus shows up, his crowds start to follow Jesus instead of John the Baptist. And here's, here's how John 3 describes this tension inside of John's followers. Here's what it says. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, Jesus, he's baptizing and everybody's going to him now. Like, wait, wait, wait a second, John. We had a good thing going here, and Jesus is stealing our crowds. They're like, John, you're letting yourself become smaller than you used to be. This is too small of a calling for who you are, John. Like, what do you do something? Make something of yourself, John. Like, do a miracle or something, or, or do like, do some more of the eating the grasshopper stuff. People loved that weeks ago. Do that again. We're losing our, our crowd. But John knew something at a soul level. His calling was not to be the one. His calling was to point to the one. See, John's followers saw his calling as too small, but John realized my calling is only as big as the person I point to. I'm not the one. Here's John's response in John 3, 28. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. And then he gives this really cool picture. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. And it is now complete. That metaphor would be like this. John's saying, listen, I know I'm the best man in the ceremony. But you ain't going to convince me to step up in front of the bride and groom during the vows and give a speech. If you're a bride, what do you do to that guy? Punch him in the neck. You don't let that happen at your wedding, right? Like, I'm not going to stand up in the middle of the ceremony and make something about myself. John realized it's not about me. And here's how he ends it. He, Jesus, must become greater. I must become less. If you don't take any other notes today, write that down. Jesus must become greater. I must become less. And John the Baptist, a great man of God in his own right, laid it all down to make sure people did not confuse. I am not the one. Jesus is the one. 
I might be preparing the way, but only Jesus can make a way back to the Father. That's, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to point to him. John the Baptist leveraged all his fame, clout, popularity, and notoriety in order to make sure people were ready to see Jesus. And church, I believe we are called to do the same thing. See, I, I could teach for 20 more minutes on John the Baptist, but I, I need to stop so I can apply this teaching See, I want to show you the whole of the Old Testament was pointing towards preparing for Jesus. And then I want to teach you that John the Baptist was preparing the way for people to meet Jesus. And now I want to invite you in to participate with preparing the way for people to meet Jesus. And 12 Stone, we are willing to leverage any influence, calling, crowds that we have to make sure that people get to meet Jesus. See, it's not about making the name of 12 stone bigger. It's about making Jesus' name bigger. It's not about making your name bigger. It's about making Jesus' name bigger. I have no interest in the name of 12 stone church hitting newspapers or magazines or commercials on television. I don't care. I would give my life to make sure that the name of Jesus is known because we don't save people. I might be a pastor. I can't fix what's broken in here. Only Jesus can. And God's put a calling on this church to prepare the way for people to meet Jesus. Listen, you know how I know that we have company coming over? When I get home, there's a smell I smell. Some of y'all know. I smell something. We have this vanilla bean candle that was probably more money than I want to understand. <laughs> and I know it was expensive because my wife only lights it when we have company coming over. When my, my son Lincoln was younger, he would come home from school and he'd go, Mom, who's coming over tonight? Like Pavlov's dogs couldn't even, didn't even know why he asked the question. Because she only lights this candle when company are coming over. Listen, church. I'm lighting the candle for our church today. We have company coming over, and it's our job to prepare the way for them to meet Jesus. And there are three places I'm going to invite us as a church into preparing the way. And we're preparing the way for people to meet Jesus, people to go deeper with Jesus, people to get on mission with Jesus. But there are three lanes that we have been quietly working on and building and preparing the way for because God has a calling on this church. And I want to walk you through these three lanes. And my prayer this week has been that God would capture the hearts of this church. That our calling is not to just make 12 stone bigger, better, more known. Our calling is to have more people know Jesus. So there's three lanes I want to talk to you about, specific lanes that God has spoken to us and we've been quietly working on. Here's the first lane. We are called to prepare the way for the next generation to meet Jesus. Listen, if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and you know Jesus, you know how he can change your life. How dare we hold that ourselves? There's a generation coming behind us that needs to meet Jesus as well. So when I say the next generation... I'm talking about, listen, Gen Z, 
And they were born between 1995 and 2015. They're, they're aged 7 to 27 right now. That's Gen Z. So when I say the next generation, this is what I'm talking about. And this generation is one out of four Americans right now. 74 million Americans are Gen Z. And there's a lot of bad news coming out about this generation. And I'll call that the popular opinion of Gen Z. And there's all kinds of bad news coming out. But I, I want to give you a different opinion today. I think there's a bunch of good news inside of Gen Z. Even though there's, listen, two out of three of this generation is either currently leaving church or has left church. Two out of three. They are two times as likely as other generations, any other generation, to become atheists. Only 3% of this generation are reading their Bible. And everybody would say, we have a problem. I have a different opinion. I think we have an opportunity, church. There's a mission field in our backyard. Gen Z, it's our job to prepare the way for them to meet Jesus. And I don't know what your opinion is of the next generation. Like, I know how easy it is to be the generation that's not the new young one and look back and point and go, man, blah, blah, blah. Maybe you bought into some of the cultural opinions about this, this, this generation. They're lazy, selfish, disinterested. They want to do their own thing. They want to be left alone. But I'm going to show you in a fairly painful and sobering way that that's not true. It's actually not true of that generation. See, we did a survey recently of our students, our middle school and high school students here at 12 Stone. And this survey was anonymous. And listen, students, if you're listening to me, this survey actually was anonymous. If your parents offered me a million dollars to tell them which text you sent in, I couldn't do it. I would really want to, but I couldn't do it. It really was an anonymous. We just wanted to know what that generation, what you were thinking, students. We wanted to know sort of some feedback on how you were feeling so we did a survey, and they could text in anonymously, and here's how we framed it. We simply asked them this, I wish my parents knew, and then they filled in the blank. I couldn't share with you every response because you couldn't handle it. But I'm going to share a few. What would the next generation say they wish you as parents knew if they could do it anonymously. Here's a few of them. I wish my parents knew that even though my actions don't, don't always show it, I desperately want their approval. What does the cultural narrative say? They don't care. They want to be left alone. I'm in my room on my phone. Leave me alone, mom. What do they really want? They want your approval. Here's the next one. That they mean, my parents mean the entire world to me. And it might seem like I don't appreciate them, but I just don't know how to express it sometimes. Mom and Dad, I'm so grateful for what you do. I just don't know how to tell you sometimes. I don't know how to put it into words. What's the next one? I know I get angry and yell when you punish me, but I'm grateful you care enough about me to do it. Do you hear what they're saying? Parents on the outside... Yelling, how could you do that? On the inside, they are grateful that you're involved. This is the cry of a generation saying, please be more involved in my life. Don't write me off. Here's the next one. 
that I'm glad they invested so much time in me, that they've stuck with me through every time, the good and the bad, that they've never given up on me, even if it nearly broke us. They recognize the cost. They recognize what you've sacrificed to stick with them through good times and bad times. It's the next one. That sometimes I just need a hug. Isn't that a true statement? There's a lot of adults that could say that, right? Like sometimes I just need a hug. You know what they're saying? I know I act like I'm embarrassed when you show me affection, but I love it. Parents, don't lean out, lean in. Here's one. This is not a direct quote. The first time we had to put a bunch of responses into one because we got so many in this lane. 10% of the responses were in this lane. I wish my parents knew that I don't like how busy and stressful my life is doing all the sports, activities, and hobbies that they signed me up for. There's a generation saying to you, parents, church, listen, I don't love the things you're putting me in as much as you think I do. There's a generation that's saying, I'm over the rat race of running sport to sport, hobby to hobby, thing to thing. We're exhausting an already overwhelmed generation. Next one. It's our students. I wish my parents knew that I'm grateful for everything they do for me, but their words have deeply hurt me. Listen, there's things that you said that you probably don't even remember that might have changed their life. What's the next generation saying to us? I was actually listening the whole time. You think you just want to leave me alone. I'm on my phone. I'm not listening to you. They listen the whole time. Next one. How hard it is to be a teenager today. I wish they knew the evils I face every day. They're growing up in a world that we can't fathom, church. They wish they could share with you just how complicated it is to grow up in this world. Here's the next one. I wish my parents knew how hard it was to make friends at school that encouraged me to do the right things. I don't want to fall away from God, but it is so hard without good friends. I wish my parents would just connect with people at church, and maybe I can find good friends there. Bet you didn't think the next generation would be asking you to go to church, did you? Here's the last one for today. I wish my parents knew that instead of protecting me from the world, I wish they would prepare me for it. See, what would the next generation say to us if they could do it anonymously and honestly? Can I tell you what I hear when I read that and when I read the hundreds and hundreds of responses we got? I hear a generation that's begging us to fight for them. They might put up a front, they might fake it well, they might push you away, but inside, if they could say it well, they would say, I'm begging you to fight for us. And students, next generation, listen, your church is listening to you. Your church loves you. We are called to fight for you and with you. And I read these responses over and over and over again this week. Because I wanted something to stir up on the inside of me. Because I want to hear the cry of a generation that's called this church their home. And I refuse to sit by idly while they're begging us to fight for them. This world is so hard to grow up in. 
And they're begging us to fight for them. And it's time for the spirit and calling of John the Baptist to rise up inside of a church and fight for the next generation. Listen, as heavy as this is, it's actually encouraging to me. Listen, parents, the things you and I agree matter, your students are saying they matter to them too. They want the right things. They want to chase the things that we want them to chase. They're just asking us to help them and fight for them in it. Like, the responses were not, I wish my parents would let me go party and do whatever I want and sleep around. We got no responses like that. They were anonymous. They could have said that. What did our kids at 12 Stone ask for? Church, would you please fight for me? I want the same things you want. And listen, I want to tell you the plan that 12 Stone Church has been preparing the way for over the last several months. See, I've, I've, been, I've been meeting with Annette and our children's team. I've been meeting with Matt Wonderlook and our students' team. I even drove out and taught at a high school camp this summer. Why? Because I'm devoted to being the church that the next generation is begging us to be. We have been quietly building things, and I want to walk you through our plan. Some of this is to inform you of how we think. Some of this is, is new that you need to hear that we're going to be putting in the mix. And listen, maybe you're new to 12 so you're like, what's all this about? You don't need to know all the details. All you need to know is this is how much we've prepared for you to be here. And now we're preparing for the next to be here at this church, specifically the next generation. And so we need to shift how we do next generation ministries. And we've never done it this way before because we've never had to. We built everything we do around adding biblical values to the biblical knowledge that already existed in the next generation. But the reality is the Bible is not a well-known book anymore. It's not, biblical knowledge is not where we can start because that's not where they're starting from. And you might have heard this before, but this is our approach to next-gen ministries. In elementary, we start with biblical knowledge. Then in middle school, we help them apply that knowledge and build biblical values. Then in high school, we help them apply the values into making biblical decisions themselves because eventually, you know this, they have to decide things for themselves. So we have to start all the way at the beginning, and we have to rethink how we do next generation ministries because God's calling up a church to prepare the way for the next generation to meet Jesus. So we start in K-12, and in K-12, listen, we have a new curriculum we've been preparing for all summer, and now it's going live today across all of our campuses, 12 Stone Home, we know we're trying to get this to you as well in the future, but we have to start here. But here's the new scope and sequence with biblical knowledge in the next generation. Every fall, we walk them through the Old Testament. What did we do for the whole church last spring? Walked you through the Old Testament. And now we're walking our kids through that. Then in December, we walk through the birth of Jesus. And then in January, February, we walk through the life of Jesus, then the death and resurrection around Easter, then the early church in late spring, and then every summer, June and July, we walk through the epistles and the poetic books, and we will do this graded level, kindergarten, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, all through elementary school, we are doing what, what our part in getting them rooted in biblical knowledge. They need to understand who God is, what he did, why they need Jesus. This generation needs to understand, listen, you're not good enough on your own. You can't earn it, can't build your way back to God. You need to understand why you need Jesus. And we start that in elementary school. And parents, listen, I cannot help your kids learn the Bible if they're not here. We can put together the best programs in the world, but if your kids aren't here, I can't. 
I can't help them. If you, if you skip out every June, your kids miss the epistles for their life. Like no Colossians, no Ephesians, no Philippians, no Galatians, whatever. Really? Those are pretty important. Like, I, I can't help you if they're not here. See, and then once they get biblical knowledge in elementary, we move into middle school and high school, M12 and H12. And over the last 12 to 18 months, we've been aligning our student ministry approach to start where these students are starting. See, this is the most anxious generation there has ever been in all of history, partly because they're trying to get from things, people, and experiences what they can only get from Jesus. This generation has everything at their fingertips. On their phone, they can have a package delivered tomorrow. On their phone, they have access to every bit of knowledge out there in the entire world in about half a millisecond, as long as you're not still on dial-up. Some of you are, apparently. Listen, they have everything they want at their fingertips. And can I tell you what I'm hopeful about? They don't get to believe the lie for very long that if I just could have X, it would fix what's broken in here. Because that generation has access to just about everything and things are still broken in here. Church, they have lived with the consequences of isolation lockdowns, being alone, and the consequences they're feeling are greater than probably anybody else in our society right now. And so what do we have to do as a church? We have to root them in godly relationships. So what we do, we do family dinner monthly at M12 and H12. Why? Because they need to sit around a table and have a church family that knows them. Like the value of being known is huge in the next generation. I want... I want you to know who I am. Then we do small groups every single week inside of student ministry. If you jumped into M12 or H12, it's not just a big hoo-ha party. Let's just do games and dumb stuff the whole time. No, they're asking for relationships. They want older people that have walked with Jesus to speak into their lives. They need voices other than just you, parents. Even our yearly agenda at summer retreat was not just fun. It was a blast. But we taught them, how do you go back into your schools and be missionaries for Jesus? We have to change how we do what we do for the next generation. And listen, parents, I cannot help your students. I can't help them have relationships with other people who want the same thing that you want for them and they want for themselves if they're not here And I get it. I have a middle schooler and a high schooler. And about two times a month when they come to tell me it's time to drive them to church, I'm like, I don't want to drive to church right now. And I'm the pastor. (laughs) Some of y'all needed that permission. I wasn't going to tell this, but I'm going to tell it. You know why I do it? Because when my son gets to high school for the first time this year, He's terrified. He looks confident. Terrified. And guess who showed up at his first lunch in high school? Upperclassman at 12 Stone. That he met at camp. That he sees every Wednesday night. And can I tell you the gift that is to my son? I can't give them that if you don't have them here 
See, by now the world is not even trying to hide their agenda for your kids and your students. So we're not gonna hide ours either. Our agenda. Here's our agenda. We want our kids to be rooted in biblical knowledge so they can build biblical values and make biblical decisions. And if they miss a step, it's really hard to catch up. 12 stone, we are preparing the way for the next generation to meet Jesus. And it's not enough that we just do it here in Gwinnett. We are called to expand what God's inviting us to through 12 stone homes all around the country and the world. But also, we are preparing the way for the people in Jackson County to meet Jesus. And so we're launching a campus in Jackson County. And for speed, I'm going to go fast. But here's what you need to know. We are launching that campus September 18th. It's exciting. A couple weeks, six weeks from now. Seven of you are excited. We're pumped. We want to see the people of Jackson County know Jesus. And here's the good news. We have a building now. We will be meeting at the Empower College and Career Center in Jackson County. So listen, if you live up that way, consider jumping in. If you know people up that way, invite them. If you don't, pray. Ask God to go before us. Because listen, when you start to see what's at stake, the next generation, the next campus, the next person meeting Jesus, you pray differently, don't you? Tell me when you're in a season that's hard that you don't pray harder. I would never admit it, but I do too. When stuff's hard, when I go through a hard season, my prayer life looks different. God's inviting us into some things that we cannot pull off on our own. We can open campuses, but God has to make the way. We can prepare the way for the next generation, but God has to make a way for them to know Jesus. And so what do we do as a church? We pray our way. See, this week we start seven days of prayer. And this is not a program that we do. It's a calling that we belong to. See, in the summertime, sometimes we tend to drift spiritually. And this is an invitation to correct that drift for us as a church. It's an invitation to put first things first again. And I know that most of us would give lip service, myself included, to God's first. He gets my best. He gets my first. And yet, oftentimes, my calendar and my life, my priorities don't line up like that. So God's inviting a church to arrest it. So listen, we're starting our school here saying, God, you get my first. And it's going to be 6.30 to 7.15 a.m. at every campus, streamed online. That's Eastern Standard Time. So our 12-stone home groups out west, you guys lucked out. You get to start at 9.30, and that makes me sad and happy for you. But you know what? Set your alarm and do it with us. Because listen, here's what, here's what God invites us to. Here's what I think he's whispered to me. There is going to be great cost in a 6.30 show-up time. Like, it's not hard to wake up at 6.30 for most of us, but to be somewhere at 6.30, different story. And here's what God seemed to whisper. Listen, if you would pay the price and show up, he will show up and meet us in prayer. 12-stone home groups, maybe you're going to gather up. I know the Jackson County campus is going to meet at Revival Hall at 6.30 every morning, Monday through Friday this week. And I don't know what God's going to stir in you, but I think God's inviting you to put first things first again. Listen, maybe God's going to ask you to be present physically at a campus every single morning for the whole week. If that's what he asked you to do, obey. For others, you're like, give me something I have a chance at being successful at. So maybe it's this. Maybe you show up in person one time this week. And then maybe you wake up at 6.30 and do it online live with us two times this week. 
Then the other three, you do sometime during the day. Maybe you're at work and you take your lunch break and you just put first things first at lunch. God, you're gonna, you're gonna get my, my prayer, my worship, my focus at my lunch break for this week. But here's what I know. If you will pay the price and show up, I believe he's gonna meet us there. That's three things. I have 10 I could share. I don't have time. Here's what I want you to know. What do you do with this? Here's all I'm ever gonna ask you. I don't want you to feel pressure or weight or guilt. I want you to ask God, Here's what you do. Obey whatever God stirs in you. That's it. I'm never going to pressure you into anything more than obeying whatever God stirs in you. And you, you get to live in your experience of 12 stone at your campus or online or home. And, and I love that. But I, I, I have to live in the macro of what's happening across the entirety of the church. And listen, I don't normally talk numbers like this. But there are times where people, you just need to see what God's doing here at the church. See, over the course of the summer, we grew by over 1,500 people every single week. We have never grown as a church in the summer, ever. In our history, 35 years, never grown. <clears throat> Last weekend was July 31st. And you don't know church math and how things work, but the summer is usually down in attendance. July 31st was the largest weekend gathering numbers we've had in 2022 except for Christmas and Easter. We're terrified and excited at the same time. We are averaging 500 new people every month. 2,500 new people since last spring. All the while, our children to adult ratios are crazy town. We've got more kids per adult than we've ever had in our history. This summer, we took more students to camp, retreat, what we call it, than we ever have in our history. And now we're getting into August, and we believe that there's gonna be another bump in August. Now we're getting into September. Good Lord, please prepare us for this. We're launching another group of people who are showing up saying, I need to know about this Jesus guy. And I tell you all this, because I just believe at a soul level that when God prepares a church for this, he prepares people for this. Like I don't, God doesn't say, listen, I'm gonna send a bunch of people, good luck. When God sends a harvest, God sends workers for the harvest. And I want you to pay attention. What is God stirring in you? Because obey whatever God stirs in you. And I wasn't gonna do this part because I was like, I don't wanna do this. And the Spirit of God whispered this week and said, leave it in. You're going to share everything that you shared about the next generation launching campuses, prayer, all the things that, that I'm doing, you're going to share how I'm sending people to you and you don't think I'm going to call people in? You don't think that my Holy Spirit's going to tap on people's shoulders and say, hey, I want you to step in and help prepare the way for the next person to meet Jesus. So I'm obeying what God stirred in me and I'm inviting you to obey what God stirred in you. Listen, maybe you have to prepare the way for your own family first. And this fall, you're going to reprioritize church. Can I tell you what your students are asking you to do? I wish my parents would connect to church so maybe I could find good friends. Your students are asking you to prioritize it. Don't just fit church in your calendar. Build your calendar around it. Put first things first. Maybe God's gonna call you to prepare the way for the next generation to meet Jesus by serving in next gen. Like maybe God's gonna invite you to serve in K-12. There are campuses that need to open more rooms because we have more people. 
Maybe God's going to call you to serve in student ministry, M12 or H12. I'm not even guilting you. I could care less. I just believe the Spirit of God's inviting you, church. He wants to invite you in to prepare the way. Maybe you're an empty nester and you haven't served since your own kids were in the ministries. And God might tap your shoulder and say, it's time to be spiritual grandparents now. Maybe you're a 20-something, you're young, you're single, you're college student, you don't have kids, you don't even think about kids, you don't even like kids. Well, if you don't like kids, don't do this. <laughs> you don't even think about kids. Maybe God goes, listen, go be the person you wish you had when you were 15, 12, 8, 5. And our campus pastors and our pastors for home are stepping up. They're gonna give you details, but listen, we're just gonna invite you into growth track. We wanna help you find your spiritual gifts that God gave every believer to be used to prepare the way for someone to meet Jesus. Three weeks, we're asking you for three weeks, not 30, not 300. On the other side of those three weeks, listen, there might be a student or a child that in 20, at, at 20 years old, at 30 years old, at 40 years old, they remember back and say, there was this leader that showed up and they changed my life forever. That's the invitation of God. All of this is impossible unless God stirs and we obey. So pastors, would you invite us in to obey whatever God stirred and then pray that in the life of this church? Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.